0: Hello and welcome to the EDH RETCAST. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he recently played against a queen all-in-all deck and he thought that all-in-all, all-in-all wasn't all-in enough. It's Matt
1: Morgan. So, I was talking to my girlfriend, I said, you know, we should probably go get a drink sometime. And she said, sure, how about 10 tomorrow? And I said, that's really too much for one day. Um, how about, like, two? Oh, goodness, yeah. I. (laughs) <laughs> moderation is key kids moderation is key i i'm i'm very <laughs> yes yes it is
0: up next he's thinking of building a green sleeves deck but he's gonna put it in red sleeves just to tilt me
2: it's dana roach uh, there's a friend of mine who's an expert in making clown shoes do you know how long it took him to learn that it's no small feat
1: <laughs> there it is
2: <laughs> oh no
0: <laughs> oh no dana you got there I think my childhood, it's kind
2: of, it's kind of infinity related.
0: Yes, uh, I think my childhood fears just reactivated, though, with that dad <laughs> joke, though. So, um, that's fun. That's a fun image to carry into this episode. I'm happy about this energy right now. Anyway, let's get into the EDH recast. EDH rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data just a little more context. Matt, do
1: you mind telling us what it is we're going to be talking? talking about in this week's episode. Well, last week we talked about what if with some different rules about commander as a format. And so this week we're going to kind of apply that to certain cards and if we had a chance to maybe tweak the designs on them a little bit, touch some of those knobs that they always talk about, you mm-hmm. know, kind of tinkering with. What would that look like and what would we do to fix some of the maybe more problematic cards in the format?
0: Yeah. Cards that we wish we could change, little small things. How would that make some of these cards different? Would that make the commander format better off as a result of them? Just musing about some cards that are maybe too good or maybe not good enough that we would love to see little tweaks on. It should be a pretty interesting conversation. Of course, before we get into our main topic, though, we do have a couple of quick shout outs to do.
2: We'd like to thank Chase, also known as Manicurbs, for their work in editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Manicurbs.
1: And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing to this YouTube video here, or you can go to patreon.com slash where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. No matter what you're looking to get, we have a tier for you, whether you want to join the discord community, whether you want some swag that we send out, we do that every now and then for those certain tiers. So you can do the, all of that and more over at patreon.com slash And as always, we do have a tier where we shout out somebody who went to that website and we just want to thank them for their support. So this week, that shout out is going over to Casey Harai. So Casey, thank you so much. I would say hurrah for your support. Not huzzah because I'm not a nerd, but Casey Harai, hurrah for your support. Okay,
0: wait a second. You're not a nerd. Matt, you are on a Magic the Gathering podcast. What do you mean you're not a
1: nerd? (laughs) So so there's a difference between a dork and a nerd. Um... Ner- I, I'm not a nerd.
0: I, I I I would wager that a person who cares about the distinction between those two definitions might actually qualify as an as a nerd. But
2: <laughs> there's nothing not, you, nerdier than splitting that particular hair, right? You know,
1: I I, I prefer to actually call it. Uh, I seek a cerebral challenge. That's that's, <laughs> that's how I'm going to describe it.
2: <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much,
1: Casey,
0: for your support. Thank you to all of our listeners, all of our viewers. Uh, we really appreciate appreciate all of it, whether you're a patron or not. Like even if you just leave something like a review, or if you subscribe and like on YouTube, like all that little stuff, it really adds up. But we just appreciate all of you, and thank you, Casey, for making us discover this not nerdy thing about Matt. I guess <laughs> this is this is a weird thing to get into. How about Matt? We just get into our main topic. How about we do that? Well, we we can do that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about some cards that we wish we could change in the commander format or if we could change them, how would we do that? Just cards that may be a little bit of a problem, things that we would maybe tweak here and there, little things like that. But I think before we even actually talk about any examples, like we have to state categorically that we are not game designers and we also have the benefit <laughs> of hindsight, <laughs> no. like actually coming up with all of these ideas for random cards is the hard part and actually tweaking the knobs on them and stuff like that. Like Matt was saying, is like that that is very difficult and it's, Not even an exact science. So we have the benefit of hindsight where we can be like, "Mm, if only they had done this to the mana cost or whatever. But like Hmm. the job of game design is really hard. So we're not going to try and be presumptuous and be like, oh, they should have done this for our entitled demands. I just want to make sure that that energy is known by everyone here. And and
2: nobody likes alchemy as it is. I don't think we need to propose alchemy EDH. (laughs) That's not going to fly. I don't think this is entirely hypothetical.
0: Oh, no, Dana. You mean you don't specialize in alchemy? Yes.
1: Okay. yeah, no, uh, I'm guessing by the context of it, that's an alchemy joke. It is. But also, (laughs) I have no idea what alchemy even like does. So in my head, canon, infinity and alchemy are just the same thing.
0: Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. we've we've put off the main topic long enough that we're going off the rails. (laughs) Dana, can you get us back on track? Start us off with a card that you wish that maybe
2: if only you could change it, what would you do to it? So the first one here we'll talk about, I think, is Doxed Extortionist. Um, you know, it's currently sitting at a one in a red for a one, two. And when it enters the battlefield, you create X treasure tokens or X is a number of artifacts and enchantments your opponents control. Um, that's an insane card that, that <laughs> tends to generate just a crazy amount of value in the form of mana that can be used at any point in time. Um, it's just nuts. And I've never seen it come down in a way that at the very least, like, didn't give you mana ahead very times multiple turns worth of mana ahead. It's it's oftentimes just game changing and oftentimes doesn't just get cast and generate value. It gets cast and then bounced and blinked and cloned and, and generates those that that value multiple times
0: yeah that one's i don't think that there was as much hubbub about this card when it first released i think people knew it was powerful but that was also like a very pre-treasure takeover the game kind of stage because that was what 2019 2018 yeah i mean now it's showing up in nearly 150,000 decks already so definitely a very very impactful card and i know a lot of people wish bannings upon it as well Dana, what's a thing that you wish you could change about this card? Then,
2: well, so, so the first thing I kind of wanted to bear in mind with this card is it, it's primarily a Cedh card, or at least in Cedh, it isn't necessarily a problem. So, like I, I, I felt like you know changing the the mana cost of it to make it cost more mana, while logical in terms of like nerfing the power, that definitely hampers it in, in, in Cedh. So, so I didn't really want to mess with that. The first thing that jumped out at me, though, was eliminate the fact that it was an ETB trigger and make it a cast trigger mm. just to eliminate all of the reanimation, blinking, looping stuff that actually doesn't really happen with it in competitive. Like they tend to just use it for that big burst and then try to win the game. It's more casual magic where you see people trying to, to do those things with it. And I think eliminating that would be a good way to pull back the power outside of CEDH without hampering it too awfully much there. See, I don't
1: know. I don't even know if making it a cast trigger would hamper it a whole lot. Like, there are some decks, obviously, that, yes, it, it, it would limit the amount of abuse it could have, but Cloudstone Curio is a very real card. Sure. I think people just slot in Cloudstone Curio and make that a $25 card, too. Dockside is a really hard card to fix, I would say, because it, it is so efficiently costed. Like, Dockside Extortionist is a card that's kind of transcended its price tag. It's been sixty dollars in most cases for a long long time the fact that it's in 20 percent of eligible decks that's an extraordinary inclusion percentage so it's really hard for me to think of something that would keep it powerful and it's not going to disrupt cedh but also make it a little harder to abuse. It's a real big challenge.
0: I I do think that like, if you change the mana cost on this card, for example, I don't think that changes anything. Mm -hmm. Like it still has mana geyser-esque qualities. This like can, when timed right, it can totally set you up on mana for a whole bunch of stuff. And I think in particular, the combination that you can have with this card and stuff like Professional Facebreaker, for example, which turns your treasures into card draw, or you can have those treasures also serve other functions like with a Marionette Master. Like that's what also especially pushes this card kind of over the edge in some cases where the fact that you're making so many artifacts does a whole lot of things for you i do wish that it was a cast trigger i not like when you cast it you make all of the things but when it enters the battlefield if you cast it you would get all of those treasures i think that that would temper down enough of the stuff that like the casual blink deck can't completely abuse this thing that is the thing that i would definitely like to see but at the same time when they made this card they had no idea that treasures were about to take over the holding format either so sure. like right you know man that is the thing that made this card more powerful as more and more artifact tokens started littering the battlefield as well, you know? So
2: What's crazy about it is I think you could make it a cast trigger. You could eliminate the enchantments clause so it only triggers off artifacts. Hmm. And you could probably make the treasures ETB tapped. And I think it's still a really, really good card. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely.
2: (laughs) And that's nuts. Like, that's nuts that you could change those three things and still have it be like, yeah, that's playable.
1: Yeah. I do like the idea that you just gave there that the treasures would enter tapped That is a huge, huge differentiation between it's a ritual that just gives you this one huge explosive turn versus the answer to the battlefield tapped. So you can't immediately use that bonus. Mm -hmm. So you have to either find ways to untap it or untap your treasures, I I should say, or wait a turn. And that gives players a chance to respond. Yeah. That slowing down of a turn, there's a lot of different knobs that I, I think... The general player base, and I am very much in that general player base, don't really think of an, as far as ways to kind of temper cards like this. And entering the battlefield tapped, I think, is a brilliant solution to some of these treasure problems that we've had in general in the past couple of years, not just with Dockside.
0: I mean, let's turn our eyes to some of those cards then, because these are also the qu- cards that I know I personally would love to see if they had gotten more tweaks, for example. Like, um, you know, Smothering Tithe also makes a lot of treasures. How would we fix that one? Old Gnawbone makes a bunch of treasures. So does Bootlegger Stash. And I-, I don't know, looking at those last two, like, in my opinion, green is the color of natural mana, not artificial mana. So I wish that, like, Old Gnawbone... And the bootlegger stash contained red in their color identity so that they were gruel rather than mono green. And then it, at least flavorfully, it would kind of like work better for me. But, you know, the entering tapped thing, I don't think would be uh, like, I think that that would also help in the case of like old knob bone or something like that. But I don't think that that would change anything about smothering tithe, like treasures entering tapped wouldn't make smothering tithe not ridiculously big so like matt is there anything that you would change about smothering tithe for example
1: i mean i think the ratio immediately is the thing that jumps out to me is what should have been fixed on smothering tithe the fact that you have to go down two mana to prevent them from going up one mana that seems off to me it, it at it should be a one-to-one ratio uh i think that would 100 still keep it a powerful card but it's in Ristic study like there's precedent like Ristic study is pay one mana or they draw a card with Smothering Tithe, pay one mana or they get a treasure. I think that's a a much more balanced trade-off because even just drawing the first card for your turn and that's immediately getting taxed, I hate that. Especially at <laughs> some lower power tables, that that makes a huge impact on what you're doing. And so, and so maybe that's a knob, too, that maybe Smothering Tithe doesn't tax that first card that you draw every turn because mm. there's also precedent for that in white, 2. You know, they, they can only draw one card per turn with cards like Spirit of the Labyrinth and stuff like that, where it kind of limits how many cards people can be drawing every turn. So <sighs> there's a lot of different things that they could do with Smothering Tithe. But I think the immediate one is make it a one to one ratio and then only tax or don't tax the first card you draw every turn.
2: I, I don't really even have a problem with the ratio or anything i I think they're strong cards existing is perfectly fine and i think if i think smothering tithe is a super strong card but i don't think it's necessarily a problem in terms of how powerful it is my problem with smothering tithe is how splashable it is Mm -hmm. you can run it in every single deck with no problem because of the single white pip and the casting cost Mm -hmm. i that is my issue with it is like you you just put it everywhere i think it's definitely one of those cards that for me personally a lot of my issues that will be solved by having like triple white in the casting cost. So it's not splashable. So it's, it's a kind of a pain in the butt, even in two color decks and definitely a challenge in three or more. Yeah. So it it becomes a mono white thing or something where you really want to, if you're running in a two color deck, you better be thoughtful about your mana base. Um, That for me solves a lot of the problems. I'm fine with it being as strong as it is. I just don't like seeing it. Hey, I'm playing a five color deck. I can run smothering tithe that, that to me strikes me as a problem.
0: I really identify with that one that resonates hard with me, especially because I feel the exact same way about the overload cost on Cyclonic Rift. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it six in a single blue? I it, like that just, oh man, I would love for more encouragement to play cards that are like to play decks that are monocolor. Like if it is only easy for monocolor decks to play certain of those very powerful cards. I love those incentives, like, ooh, encourage me to play a mono-white deck. Uh, for example, there were some of the cards from Neon Dynasty, like Brilliant Restoration, I think, was one of them. And it was like four white pips in, in the card. And I'm like, yes, more of that. I would love to see more of that that encourages players to really only play some of these cards with really splashy or cool effects in a, mono- um, in a mono-colored deck. Whereas Cyclonic Rift, yeah, it goes everywhere. I mean, so much has been said about Cyclonic Rift. But I feel like less would have been said about it if that overload cost was like three blue 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 instead of just being six in a blue
2: i've gotten blown out before by merciless eviction a bunch of different times <laughs> the the difference is merciless eviction can only show up in a, a fraction of decks because you have to be playing black and have to be playing white mm. rift can go everywhere so like i've gotten blown <laughs> up by rift a lot more frequently not necessarily because it's more powerful i mean it probably is but, but also because it can just go in any deck that's, that's even glanced at a, a blue mana pip, whereas <laughs> Merciless Eviction can't. And that like, yeah, the, the fact that Rift just requires a single blue to, to overload is, is a giant problem there. Because again, I'm fine with cards being strong. Rift is really strong. That's okay. There should be really strong cards. Mm-hmm. Those cards should probably just shouldn't be able to be splashed in every single deck.
0: Well, that's the difference between Hole Breacher and Notion Thief, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. They sure. both restrict extra draw. Yeah, but Notion Thief is two colors, so it can go less places. So it's le- it was less of an
1: issue. Yeah. Well, and even in the the most recent set with Dominary United. There were a lot of cards that had multicolor kickers that made them, they, they were Jeskai cards, even though they were just mono red in the, the casting cost. Right. And that's another brilliant idea and one of those things they can do that restricts the impact that it has because it goes in fewer decks. Yep. So you have to be playing Abzan to play the Black Enchantment that really gets you ahead. I, I forget the name of it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, folks, because it's such a new card. But then... True Conviction, you look at that and that kind of proves Dana's point where yeah. with True Conviction, that's a card that's it's played in over 21,000 decks. It's a powerful, powerful card, but it's three in triple white. And if you look at the top commanders that it's getting played in, it's a lot of mono white. There's a couple multicolor decks. So if you're playing two, three colors, it does get a little difficult. But also the amount of powerful rare land cycles that we're getting also is making that kind of easy. So I don't even know if that's enough. Sure. It's hard to tell if... Adding the amount of pips in a certain spell's casting cost is going to hold up over, you know, the way that game design has been going the past few years.
0: I mean, I definitely feel you on the kicker costs. Like, yeah. that's a thing that I love about the new card Terra for example, mm-hmm. which exiles an artifact or enchantment, but it's got a, a kicker of one in a black that would also let you uh, exile target non-land permanent instead of just an artifact or enchantment. And when I first saw that card, I was just like, this is better than all of the naturalized variants because it's exile instead of destroy. Oh, wait, it can go in fewer places, and and I, I really like that. But not every set can be Dominaria with multicolored kicker costs, so I feel like the only other way would be to control the number of pips to help make sure that we don't have, quote, strictly better cards uh, showing up that way and that they show up in a, a more limited number of decks and that they aren't as easily splashable. I don't know what other tricks there would be aside from the pips.
2: Yeah, that, that kicker cost simultaneously makes allows a card to be better while also making it worse, or not, not worse, but like restricting it. It does two things at once, which is really cool. Yeah. It lets it, it lets it do one thing while also simultaneously putting a cap on it. You can't do that with everything, but like, yeah, that's a, a, an example of a great piece of design for sure.
0: Now, here's another example of things that we've, <laughs> if only, you know, we, we've mentioned these before, but like, and, and honestly, the internet already knows a, a whole lot of discourse about stuff like the free spells from Mykoria, like Fierce Guardianship or Deflecting SWAT and things like that. So th- this is one that we've kind of posited before. Like Dana, I think you and I were both like, ah, oh, you know, if only they had higher mana costs to actually punish you if you didn't have your commander in play. Sure. Or instead of being three mana when you don't control your commander, it's five mana. And that actually makes it feel like a steep cost. But I got to say, I'm going to go even one step further than that. I don't like that these free spells, if you control your commander, protect the commander. Like, when else are you going to use that free counter spell on a non-creature spell, except to protect when your commander is in play? That tends to be the thing that we do already. Like, I like the green one a whole lot more because it's a lot more situational. It's a fog that isn't going to protect your commander's very existence. Whereas the red, the white, and the blue one all protect your commander. And I wish that... In addition to having like a a higher punishing cost they also had less defensive abilities that didn't protect the very thing that makes them free in the first place
2: i've had to hard cast a force of will twice (laughs) and i can remember the specific games and the specific plays and like everyone laughing about how absurd it was that i had to hard cast a force of will and like it it was it, it was painful enough that the experience is like ingrained into my memory I've had to hard cast Fierce Guardianship, I know, for a fact, and I can't remember doing it because it wasn't painful. <laughs> yeah. Like, it didn't stand out as being a thing that was, like, ridiculously overcosted that I was forced to do in the situation, whereas Force of Will is. So I, I definitely think that the, the cost that you get to pay if none of your commander out is, is not nearly enough of a penalty on those cards, for sure.
1: Well, because at worst, it's a less good cancel. Yeah, And Cancel's already... <laughs> cancel's not a great card, but it's also been played in a ton because mm-hmm. it's a very available card. Mm. So, we, we've seen historical precedent for, oh, the three mana for a counterspell. It's kind of standard. Yeah, okay. Right. And so, yeah, Fierce Guardianship, I think the casting cost on all of those, if you don't have your commander, should have been modified for sure. Because, especially Fierce Guardianship, yeah, all of those. I... Yeah, all of them. Let's just say or, all of them. Or
2: or, or, or <laughs> flat out, ju- just make them uncast without your commander out.
0: Oh, interesting. There you go. Yeah, I, I mean, I could, I could also be into the... I like that. I, yeah, I think I like that even more. I'm way into that. I'm way into that. Now, Matt, I actually, I kind of want to turn the corner here to some of the, like, legendary creature designs, mm-hmm. specifically because I know that you've got an Ukima and Kazur deck. And Ukima is um, crazy nuts busted in half. Like, that. it is an unblockable whale wolf. And it will get bigger. And even if it leaves the battlefield, it still has a damage trigger. And that card was designed before they had the leaves. Uh, they had that back to the command zone rules change, where commanders could actually officially die and still get a triggered ability, much like A Lend of the Dusk grows. Like for years, if she actually went to the graveyard, was the only way that you could get her triggered ability to make a bunch of vampires. But then they changed the rules so that she could still die and then go back to the command zone, and you would still get that triggered ability. So Okima was designed before then, when they wanted to make sure that it still had an effect even if it went away. And I think that makes it just totally, absolutely way too good, right? Like, even if I kill your commander, you'll still dome me for usually like 15 or 16 damage. Like, I, I don't know. You have the deck, so we will put the ball more in your court. But that feels a little bit much to me.
1: I, I, I agree it's powerful, but I don't know if it's any more powerful than a lot of other things that are going on in the format. Uh, and I, I don't mean to diminish this, because yes, like I said, it is powerful. It, it can do some silly things. But with... And you mentioned Ukima, uh, Stalking Shadow, uh, Toothy, Imaginary Friend. That That's another one that I think uh, has that leaves the battlefield trigger when it probably should have been a death trigger. But also they, they've they done a few other leave the battlefield triggers uh, for flicker type of effects and stuff like that. So I don't know if this – if it, in the, the grand scheme of things and all the cards that we're going to talk about and all the, the questions we've kind of posited. I don't know if this is one that I would put particularly high, but okay. I also don't know – I'm trying to think of a good way to, to to kind of push back on it, but go ahead, Dana. So so here's what I feel
2: about it. And so I, I have a, my friend from my other podcast, um uh, Max Crandall has a Brago deck he plays quite a bit against me. Brago is a very, very strong commander. But the one thing I, I I like about that Brago deck is Brago has to connect for the blinks to happen. it's a mm-hmm. it's an on damage trigger versus an attack trigger. So I always feel like I have a play. Okay, if we if I get a blocker up, I can stop this from happening. I can do whatever. Whereas with an exit the battlefield trigger, or to a degree, an atta- on attack trigger, you feel like you have you have less options to make a play to stop a thing from happening. And, and that, I find a little bit frustrating, where you feel like you can't do anything to to interact with it, or you have very few options. That I think is 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 the Unfun part about it. I'm not sure if it's even a power issue necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's just frustrating to feel like you're helpless to stop a thing from occurring.
1: Yeah, and, and the interactivity is is a really good point. Um, not so much that the effect is powerful, but you can't tinker with with the um, with the ability. And I shouldn't say tinker. You can't interact with it. You can't stop it from happening. Hmm. That is the, probably the point that I would I would argue more than it's it's too powerful. I, and maybe I'm mischaracterizing sure. your your argument, Joey, because. The whole format's full of very, very powerful things, but are you able to stop the things from happening? And that's always a really good question about card design in general. I think the designers have gotten into a pretty good groove for the most part. There's always exceptions where very rarely are you, are you able to fully stop people from doing things, but it's, it's more punishing them for doing it. And Mm. when there's something that you just can't interact with in general, those are the mechanics that I do agree, um, probably lead to more feel-bads and more frustration um, and maybe get mischaracterized, I should say, uh, as being too powerful.
2: Now, here here's a bit of hypocrisy, though, from from me and I think <laughs> from content creators in general. I look at a card th- that I'm a fan of, Dead Bridge Chant. And it, it you know it costs 18 mana or whatever it costs to cast. And... <laughs> When ETBs you mill 10 cards, at the beginning of your next upkeep, you choose a a card at random, and if it's a creature card, you put it onto the battlefield, otherwise it goes into your hand. So it's kind of like uh, you get a value out of your graveyard every turn. The problem with it has always been is you spend 6 mana, and someone winds up removing it, and you get nothing for it because you have to wait a full turn for it to really generate any value at all beyond the mill effect, which is maybe useful in some decks, but that's a lot of mana to not get anything for a full turn. So the complaint has always been... That would be great if it triggered at end of turn or something, so you would have a better chance to get your value. It's a similar thing with Okima, like you want a chance to get your value, so we complain about it when you get the automatic value and we complain about <laughs> it when you don't too. So like <laughs> sure, I'm definitely sure. guilty of of wanting my cake and eating it too with cards like this.
1: Well, and and the timing for a lot of those things, we've praised Watsy and and at the same time kind of said "Eh, it should have been end of turn because when they started shifting from everything happens at the beginning of your upkeep to at the beginning of the end step, Uh, moving things to the beginning of the next end step or whatever at the beginning of your end step, however the card reads, means that you're significantly likely, not always guaranteed to get it, but much, much more likely to get some sort of effect because you have to play the card and you just pass the turn and then you would go to get that effect. It doesn't have to survive an entire cycle around the table. That's a huge, huge tool that I think the Watsi designers have of they're able to move some of these things around. So are, are they going to guarantee it? Do they want this to be guaranteed? Like with the Ukima or the Toothy or do they want it to be, is this effect so powerful? We need, we want you to, to earn it as you were. Mm. Um, And so it has to happen on your upkeep or it has to happen under a more specific circumstance. And that's a really good question to ask. And so, yeah, Deadbridge chant—it's never worth it, Um, folks. Don't don't play (laughs) Deadbridge. It's never as good (laughs) as you wish it would be. And I've I. I, I wish Deadbridge chant were better um if we're going to talk about making that card good make it three mana
0: <laughs> oh yeah and in the in the last half of the show we'll get to more of the cards that we wish you could buff up instead of detune but but yeah as 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 an ecromancer myself Deadbridge chant has never done anything but let me down which is a, a big shame <laughs> but you know what on the subject of graveyardy things i mean again talking about hypocrisy here i had a marin deck for a whole lot of years and i don't know why marin gives you experience even when your token creatures die like that that card should say non-token on it or like my conrad deck why does conrad also deal damage when your stuff leaves the graveyard why does conrad say all of those words he did not need an extra activated ability to enable himself he did not need to be both payoff and engine what is going on with some of those cards like there's there's a lot of when it comes to the um the legendary creature design there's a lot to critique i think there are two main types of legendary creature design that i especially find myself more frustrated by or wishing that it could be changed um one of them is a smaller category but like any commander that changes when you upgrade it pretty naturally especially a card like calamax Calamax is a card that gets bigger, gets plus one counters whenever you copy stuff. So naturally you'll want to put cards like Reverberate into that deck. But it turns out that once you do put a copy spell into Kalamax you accidentally have turned it into a combo deck instead of into a copy deck. And that is the type of design that I am pretty critical of. But then the other type of design that I'm very critical of is the whenever you do X, draw a card type of commanders as well. Mm-hmm. And I I just wish that basically all of those were only once a turn limits. Like Tuvasa did it right. Whenever you cast an enchantment, the first time you'll draw a card that is well paced a little extra card advantage really greases up a lot of the wheels especially for a new player experience but Sithis drawing a card on every enchantment that one is a little bit too much for me wizards and I, I would prefer a lot more of the Tuvasa type of designs as opposed to the Sithis type of designs and there are a lot of the Warhammer commanders that are doing a lot of whenever you extra card, and I'm just like, ah, that, that worries me a little bit. You guys, I, I wish that these were a little bit more reined in on on the number of times that these cards could trigger. But that's just my my taste in tea.
2: There was definitely that that window there a few years back where where Watsy kind of from a design perspective felt like a really bad parent who was like, oh, my kid likes cake. I I guess we're just gonna have cake for every meal. Oh, no, we don't need <laughs> cake for every meal. You, you, yes, we like cake. Clearly, cake's really good, but like. Maybe not for every meal. You can you can pull back a little bit on how often we get cake, um, and they did for the most part. I feel like, but like, yeah, that was definitely a thing there. Like, you like drawn cards? Every commander gets a draw card.
1: <laughs> I almost wonder if they if they could rewind, putting the once per turn or once whatever, like some sort of restriction on how often something can happen, that would be that would be a fantastic because yeah. if you don't put a cap on it, it becomes a combo deck. Kind of like what you mentioned, Joey, with Calamax. Like they, they didn't put a cap on it, so it became a combo deck. I, I just hmm it's it's really hard to 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 word this politely, but I, I almost wish if they could go back in time and undo it, they would do that more often because Kind of what we posited a few episodes ago, they see, oh, well, this thing is popular. Uh, do X, draw the card. Players like to do that. That means we need to make more of these because players like that kind of effect. And that's it's kind of a case of give us what we need, not what we want
0: yeah the joy is a perfect example it's not an artifacts deck it's a cheerios deck which is a different type of deck sram senior edificer is the same way that's not an equipment deck necessarily it tends to be more of a cheerios deck and Mm -hmm. it's weird when the optimization or really not not even optimization just like trying to tune a deck leads you down a different path than the thing that you thought you were going to get when you put that commander together and putting once per turn caps on stuff especially like card advantage is a huge way to temper out those things like i think that will ability is a really great example of this it greases the wheels you get a little bit of extra card advantage for a teensy bit of a cost and the commander is really really fun but you're not drowning your opponents in so much card advantage that it feels to them like you're a little bit hopeless but at the same time talking about legendary creature designs that we wish we could change really overpowered commanders that's probably an endless discussion that we'd get lost in the weeds of so Mm -hmm. those are a couple of cards that we think you know if we could tune them back a little bit scale things back that would be fun but in the second half of the show i think it might be fun to talk about some cards that we would love to punch up instead so let's uh yeah let's sort of change our focus here and as a quick pause before we get there fellas how about we challenge some stats first and take a quick break to talk about those Alrighty, there is so much data on EDH Track, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much or too little play. So we'd love to challenge those statistics. And uh, Dana, how about you start us off this week? What's your challenge?
2: My challenge was sent to us by listener Cable Beck, and it is for the card Resourceful Defense. It's an enchantment to an white. Whenever a permanent you control leaves a battlefield, if it had counters on it, put those counters on target permanent you control... And you can also spend four and a white and move any number of counters from target permanent you control to another target permanent you control. So this generally tends to see play as far as I've experienced it in plus one counter decks. So if your large beater with a bunch of plus one counters on it dies, you can move those counters somewhere else. It kind of works as a as a less insane Ozolith. <laughs> um, Cable is pointing out that it doesn't show up even on the main theme page for Saga-themed commanders on EDH Rec. And if you look at the three top Saga commanders, uh, Satsuki, the Living Lore, Atraxa, and Goshentai of Life's Origin, it's not above 20% in any of those decks. Number one, what's nice about it in those decks is if one of your Sagas reaches its end and is then sacrificed, you can put those counters onto your resourceful defense. And then if you want at a later point to, like, trigger one of your sagas almost like a read ahead you can move those counters onto it that seems very useful however you can just chain trigger all of your sagas put all the counters on one saga which will push it to the end trigger the the last ability move the counters onto another saga which will trigger it the last (laughs) ability if you have multiple sagas and you want to just blast through them all in one turn you can do that with resourceful defense There's a bunch of useful things that would do in a Saga deck, and the fact that it's not in 20% of the three most popular Saga commander decks, I think, is an oversight. That's a good call by Cable, and it should see more play in all three of those commanders.
0: That is so funny. Matt, you have a a Saga, a historic tribal Alila deck, I think, right? I do, and this could be a, a fun thing to just blast through a bunch of them, and then use some mass enchantment reanimation spell to get them all back and do it all over again. This uh, this seems spicy.
1: I, I do like replenish effects; they are ugh, they're so good. I just wish it weren't reserveless because it makes it so expensive. But yes, but there's other there's other there's other versions of that. Um, but yes, any anything to to spam sagas, I'm on board for here for it here for
0: it here for it yeah to to get them all going through the 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 same times i think is especially difficult for saga so this is a an interesting thing to get one unified blowout cable that's really cool dana love the challenge that's awesome Uh, i'll move on to my challenge here now and dana i'm gonna try and take up your mantle here by finding a, a much more obscure card and i don't know if you've ever heard of the card spoils of evil have you black card but i don't
1: remember what it does uh it's something to do with it it makes mana i forget uh i because i can see the art it has the guy with like the the handful of mush
2: yeah i can too like there's like a goofy face on it or something uh yeah it's 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 a handful of stuff it's 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 spoopy
1: for sure it's very halloween
0: yes very very spoopy indeed so i i haven't quite out dana dana for this challenge but i do still think that this is an interesting card so spoils of evil it's two and a black for an interrupt according to the card so an instant now that's it says for each artifact or creature in target opponent's graveyard add one colorless mana to your mana pool and you gain one life This is kind of weird, and I will also say I'm pretty sure that this card might be reserved list. It's currently like sitting at six bucks or something like that. So it's not the most easily, you know, acquired card by any means. But this does strike me as a pretty interesting little tidbit for any type of mill deck. I mean, Captain Negathrod, for example, has been a very popular commander as of late. Phoenix, God of Deception, is also a very popular mill commander as well. If you are in the business of filling up your opponent's graveyards, This could be a thing that gives you a quick burst of maybe 10 mana. I mean, most decks tend to carry something between like 30 and 40 combined artifacts and creatures, just doing a cursory glance through some of the top commanders in the format. Yeah, like this could actually get you a pretty big chunk of both life and mana if you wanted a fun graveyardy type of ritual. So... I'm, I'm glad that you guys are only slightly familiar enough with this card that I can submit it as a weird and obscure challenge. I think I've, I have I hope that I've made Dana proud. <laughs> you have. Yay, I did it. Okay, Matt,
1: I'm going to bask in that glory for a little bit while you tell us about your challenge. So my challenge this week is one that we're, we're guilty. When we make these challenges, we're not saying, oh, we know all. We don't make any mistakes in our deck building. Uh, I'm challenging this this one this week because I, too, have made the mistake that lines up with the data that we're seeing on EDHREC. Oh. So I have recently built a Balmor Mage Captain deck, and this has been a lot of fun to brew. Uh, it's is it Colors. It's just a blue and a red for a 1-3 bird wizard that has flying and went. And then whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, creatures you control get plus one, plus zero, and they gain trample until end of turn. So, it's a pretty spell-slingery type of deck, and I'm, I'm having a lot of fun brewing it, but there's one card that I put in there, and 28% of everybody else out there is also doing this, that I don't think sh- they should be playing this card. That card is Crash Through, and Crash Through is just one red mana for a sorcery that says, creatures you control gain trample until end of turn, and you draw a card. And at first glance, you think, okay, yeah, it makes your creatures harder to block, you draw a card. What, what's the downside? But then when you realize balmore gives your creatures trample just by casting a spell anyways Ah. um crash through kind of becomes redundant you're wasting a slot basically uh yes crash through does cantrip out it it draws a card to replace itself but you're also in blue and blue kind of is known for its cantrips (laughs) uh there are so many more powerful cards out there if you're trying to just draw a card um People are only playing treasure crews in 38% of decks, and that card is wildly powerful. Um, And it's also a common. It's a a quarter for a quarter. So if it's granting an ability that your commander already is granting, now, yes, you you can't always rely on your commander being out. That is something that you do need to find a balance with. But Belmore is only two mana. And so it's not very hard to recast Belmore. It comes down early, or you can softball him. So... Crash through is a card that people are playing already at a significant, you know, over one in four decks. And I just don't think you need it there. I think there's, a, it's kind of a waste of slot. Crash through, it's great, but not for Belmore.
0: <laughs> yeah. Redundant trample is redundant, as is redundant. the word redundant in the sentence that I just said. Am I doing it right? Shh. Shh.
1: Yeah, sure. To- to- you're the English major. I don't know what you're asking me for. <laughs> okay.
0: Did did I word good? Listen, if you understand me, I grammared correctly. All right, let's get back into our main topic here. We talked about cards that we wish that maybe had been scaled back a bit, but now I think it's probably time for us to talk about cards that we wish had gotten a little bit of an extra oomph, like we're not playing these but like just a small tweak might have actually pushed them into the realm of can't wait to get this into my deck without sending it completely way too far in in, into one side so dana how about you start us off with are there cards that come to mind where you're like you know this is almost on the verge of exciting to play but if it had only done this like what comes to mind for you
2: You you should have thrown it to Matt first so he could bring up this first card here, but uh, that's one of his favorites, Monologue (laughs) Tax.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) You, Benedict Arnold. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) You traitor. (laughs) Uh. Matt, your favorite. Uh, uh, So, Monologue Tax. You had Uh, had to (laughs) say that card, didn't you?
2: (laughs) I did. Um, Two and a white. Whenever an opponent casts their second spell each turn, you create a treasure token. Um, very simple. It's, I I guess their attempt at a fixed, um, smothering tithe, uh, except for as Matt can attest, it probably doesn't ever do enough. It's bad.
1: It doesn't do anything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I have ran it and had it make, make treasures. I, I, I wouldn't say it doesn't do anything. I agree. It's not, it's not consistent enough. And when it does a thing, it feels, um, uninspiring, I guess I would say. Yeah. Uh, it, I guess the easy fix, and this is one that I think we talked about on stream, even at one point in time, was instead of just rewarding you for the second spell each turn, reward you for each spell beyond the second spell each turn, and in, in addition to that one. So instead of just getting that one treasure, you get one if they cast a third spell or a fourth spell as well. Yes. Um, because if your opponent's casting that many spells, that's you. That seems. Like you should get something for that. that. That that doesn't seem unfair. You are only being unfairly rewarded to the extent in which they're casting an unusual amount of spells.
0: Right. Fully. I don't. I don't understand why the card monologue tax does not punish a longer monologue. Mm-hmm. It only punishes one. I'm just like, what? what what's going on here? Uh, that that don't that don't make any sense to me, and I think that it would be a lot more like exciting to play without being overpowered if it was for each spell beyond the first. But yeah,
1: that's just me. One, that's something that I just they, they they only punish the exactly the second card. Uh, it's I, I I do I just monologue tax I. I think every time that I've cast it, it's been mana negative. It's <laughs> It relies too much on your opponents, too. And it's not even rewarding for a single... When you look at stuff like Mangar the Diplomat, that was a card that a lot of people got very excited for in mono white because, oh, when everybody casts their second spell each turn, you draw a card. And that's on a creature. It's, it's easier to remove. If monologue tax had something on par with at least Mangar or something like that, it might have kind of been worthy of the reputation I got when it first came out, but thankfully players realize that Smothering Tithe, this is not. And, and mm. I yeah, it's, it's <laughs> We're
0: gonna break uh, Matt's I, brain if we have him talk about mono.
1: <laughs> my brain already is broken just trying to grok how much of a miss this card was. Yeah, I fully feel it. Honestly,
0: here's the sad thing: there are so many uh mono-white cards that came from Commander Precons that fit into the oh god, if if only you had gone just one step
1: further you guys like or one step less yeah one I, step less you, you, yeah you beat me to a cartographer's hawk yes just take off the bounce it back to your hand clause why does it return to hand that that is the part <laughs> hmm.
0: alms collector too like that's that's another one where i'm like uh, alms collector only matters when your opponents are drawing two or more cards at a time so it kind of only shuts down a consecrated sphinx it doesn't shut down most of the card draw sources out there like aristic study that will draw you A lot of cards but only one at a time so yeah alms collector is another one that i'm just like ah if only (laughs) if only this card was was good if only it had been tweaked a little bit to get actually more meaningful card advantage
2: well what you could do is take the two steps that green cards go too far and let them let, let them only go one step too far and move that extra step over to white <laughs> then just evenly distribute it that would be fine well
0: memed my lord well memed uh but yeah our, our song of the world soul breaks my heart in half that's the six mana whenever you cast a spell populate I love that design. That to me is an exciting card for white. I love that. But it's six mana. Like you could have lopped two mana off of that cost and it would have been perfectly fair and fun. That would I would have loved that or uh, the same with tempt with glory. Why is Tempt with Glory a six mana card? That's the one where it's like the Tempt with Discovery cycle. Only Tempt with Discovery is like four mana. I can get a land, and if everyone else gets lands, then I'll get extra lands too. That makes sense, sure. You know, it's four mana, getting some lands. Maybe Tempt with Glory is six mana for plus one counters, and if other people put plus one counters on their stuff, then you'll get it too. Even if all of your opponents take that deal, I'm. So, I just I don't think that that is a six mana effect. Most of the time you'll get one plus one counter on all of your stuff for six mana. Why it's six mana? I just There's a lot of cards from the pre-cons that fall into this category. I'm like, what does this mana cost?
1: I think that the temp cycle probably was in the early, well, it was in the early days of commander card design. So I think they were probably still trying to tread lightly. So I, if they probably could redesign that whole cycle, they probably would adjust it, I imagine, uh, to be more in line with uh, Temporal discovery that one is absolutely fantastic. It's a, I think that's probably the most successful of the cycle, but it's also like one well, of the only played in that cycle. So, uh, yeah, I, I I think comparing some of these cards that we that they did back in 2014 2015 maybe is a little unfair to judge it by 2022 standards, but that's just me. I don't know. Uh, call, call me, call me a Watsy Shill, whatever you want. I'll call you, I'll call you whatever
0: I want. Uh, I, I don't like if you are building a multiplayer focused product, Mm -hmm. I, I think that like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not willing to let these off of the hook because especially like song of the world soul. That one wasn't that long ago. Like that one was in the same set as Dockside Extortionist.
1: That one I'm not. I'm not defending that one. No, but so, uh,
0: so yeah, I don't know. There's there's a whole bunch of. The, I guess I'm just. I find myself still a little bit irked that we were promised for like eight years. Oh, we're gonna get powerful white cards, you guys, and then it took them until like the year 2021 to finally deliver on that. That is still a thing that frustrates me. Like yeah, you know, Seraphic Greatsword, for example, could be the next one that we talk about, and that was a 2020 special, wasn't it? <laughs> like. Why does this card? Uh, why? Why? Why on the? Why in the world does it track your own life total as part of it? Like there are many instances where Seraphic Greatsword will will prevent you from getting anything from the Seraphic Greatsword because it doesn't track just your opponent's life totals. If you have the greatest life total, you don't get the Angel token. So, good fun white mythic. Ugh, no, not really. Big whiff on that one.
2: A lot of the the white cards in general tend to feel like they had an an extra roadblock put into place or, or extra speed bump i guess to slow the card down that's never really been a problem in white <laughs> I, I don't understand why they're so concerned with um making sure they don't accidentally print something busted in white in a way they don't seem to worry about it in other colors but that's definitely a thing i think
1: well and another card too that i personally i i led the crusade of trying to make this card not be quite so bad but it it really is just it it falls short is geode golem Hmm. it's five mana for an artifact it has trample it's a five three uh, and whenever geode golem deals combat damage to a player you may cast your commander from your command zone without paying its mana costs and i really wanted this to be good in some of my higher cmc or sorry higher mana value commanders (laughs) that that cost you six mana seven mana anything like that and yes it's good for cheating in once but then you Considering that the reminder text says you still have to pay additional costs, you still have to pay the commander tax, it, it, by the time you're playing this, by the time you're connecting with this, a lot of times, re- you reliably, you may only ever, in the lifetime of this card, actually pay or cast your commander for free-free once, and because you have to count on it being in play, going through a turn, having summoning sickness, all that and it's a combat damage trigger. Mm. There, there's just so many hoops to jump through for the payoff when ha- there's other cards that do this effect only better. And so that's that's where I think this card kind of falls short.
0: Yeah, I do wish that it just put the commander straight into play instead of you can cast the commander and you still get the tax. I I, I would love to see more rewards for incentivizing high mana value commanders. And this would definitely be an exciting one, but paying the additional costs it does restrict this card a bit.
1: And they kind of fixed it a little bit with Hellkite Courser, where Hellkite Courser, when it ETBs, it also puts your commander from the command zone onto the battlefield and it gets haste and then it bounces back. So even something like that, like a temporary fix. Uh, so when Geode Golem deals combat damage, put it on the battlefield. There, there, there's a lot of knobs that we talked about earlier that could have been tweaked with Geode Golem. And I think this is kind of, with Hellkite Courser at least, that's how they kind of, okay, we missed a little bit on this. If we could do it again, this is what we would have done instead. So Geode Golem, it, I, wanted it, I wanted it so badly to be better than it is. But unfortunately, even the the 10,000 decks on EDHREC that are playing Geode Golem probably were just picked up at pre-releases for Baldur's Gate. And they're like, I I guess. Dana, how about you?
2: One last one I'd like to touch on here, I guess, is the Tarrasque. The interest in the Forgotten Realms set, Uh, and if you don't remember, because it's not that good of a card and it's easy to forget, (laughs) it's 9 mana, 6 and trip green for a a 10-10. It has haste and ward 10 as long as it was cast, Um, and when it attacks, it fights target creature defending player controls. I mean, it's not a bad card. It's a 10-10. It's going to attack and be untouchable the turn it comes into play. Um, That's uh, pretty effective. But for nine mana and for being a creature that like even people who don't play D kind of know what it is or at least have heard it referenced <laughs> that's under pretty underwhelming i think
0: I, I i mean you just said you were you were trying to be polite there you're like it's not a bad card dana this is a pretty bad card yeah. um i appreciate that it has a as long as it was cast like you do want to put a writer on this so that it's not too easy to cheat into play with like my reanimation and stuff like that but at the same time like as a person who doesn't play D&D, I look at this card and I'm like, I don't think that the D&D players are happy about this representation for this card right now.
1: Well, and, and from what I remember on social media, it they were very underwhelmed. Like the Tarask apparently is a yeah. world-ending type of, El- basically what we know in the Magic community as Eldrazi type of threats to players. Yes. And so with the, the Tarask plopping down and being kind of, huh? Like you don't get the sense of destruction from this design. So I don't even know if like functionally, this is a failure, but flavorfully, this is definitely a failure,
0: right? That that's the thing for me. Like when it comes to card design, the power is not the focus for me so much as like the excitement. And this card does not excite me the way that I would expect a card called the Tarask to excite me.
2: If if it's just like generic green, scary dinosaur, then that's perfectly fine. Yeah. The fact that it's a Tarasque with that um, is, is where I think people get kind of bummed out about it. See, I, I think if
1: the Tarasque were more in line with kind of what Kogla the Titan Ape, were in design terms, where it comes in and it fights something, and then when it attacks, it's destroying artifacts and enchantments. It's, I think that flavorfully probably would have been more on par with what kind of players were expecting. But again, there, there, there was maybe some miscommunication, maybe some, some mismanaged expectations, but... Either way, I, I do agree that I don't get the feeling of, oh my gosh, this is a threat to intergalactic wellness. Right. <laughs> right. And we need, we, we only Darth Vader can stop this <laughs> and Captain Spock has to mind meld it to, to keep it at bay and all those types of things.
2: And
0: you said you weren't a nerd.
2: Instead, it just feels like whatever random Um, Mythic we would have gotten a set in like 2014. In core set 2014, this was the green Mythic. Like, oh, okay, that's that's fine. Like, get that in draft, I'll play it. That's what it feels like. And it shouldn't feel like that. It should feel epic. Yeah, I I would have loved
0: for this to feel a a lot more like Impervious Great Worm, which is like the indestructible 1616, for example. Like, that would have felt more like, oh, I immediately understand what's going on with this thing. Yeah. Sure. I want to move to one uh, one of my, a, a tweak that I wish that I could make. And I don't know if you guys will agree with me on this one, but I find myself being pretty... Critical about the myriad mechanic, specifically Blade of Selves, specifically because I love the Myriad mechanic, especially Blade of Selves. Uh so myriad is whenever you attack one of your opponents, if that creature has myriad, you also make token copies that are each hitting your other opponents as well. And my issue with this kind of comes down to any card design, especially one that we see in multiplayer formats and especially in pre-cons, where these cards stop doing anything once you're down to a one-on-one. So if you have Myriad and you're just against a single opponent. Myriad doesn't do anything. Like Equipping the Blade of Cells would give the creature no ability. And I wish that Myriad actually made a copy for each opponent, even the one that the current creature is already attacking, so that even when it came down to a one-on-one, you would still be getting some benefit. Because without that extra benefit, it does sort of make me a little less... It, it, it makes me feel cagey about actually putting any of those multiplayer matters cards into my deck. And there are a lot of other examples of this, too. Like Portal Mage, for example, is a card that changes a, the direction of an a- attacking creature when it enters the battlefield. And I'm like, well, that card kind of shuts off when we're down to a one-on-one. Or Mystic Barrier is another where it like forces players to attack in only the right direction or only in the left direction. And when you're down to a one-on-one that has no effect anymore at all. And so I, I love the multiplayer matters types of designs, especially the ones that we see in pre-cons, but a lot of them stop doing anything once we're down to a one-on-one. And I wish that there was a little bit extra oomph for those cards to make them better, even when we are in a one-on-one.
2: I think Blade of Blade of Cells in particular is strong enough that it doesn't need anything. I think I, I never, mm-hmm. it does enough work when you're facing multiple opponents that are like, if I get shut off on occasion, I'm okay with that. Um, in a general sense, though, I, I think Myriad would work better if it did say, if you only have one point opponent it still triggers once, like I, I don't think you want to get an extra trigger e- even if you're attacking for the person you're attacking, but I do think uh, getting you know a trigger, even if you're attacking one person, I guess isn't outrageous. That would be fine. Well, and that's that's kind of
1: the the tricky thing is in the reminder text for Myriad, it it says for each opponent other than the defending player. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Dana, if you even got one for the defending player, there's a lot of creatures out there with very overwhelmingly powerful and ETB abilities. Avengers, Zendikar, all sorts of things. We we don't need to go over that list, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is hard to figure out how to make sure that things scale for multiplayer, but you're still rewarded when those games are coming to a close. Yeah, that's a really interesting dance, and I would be curious to see how how the designers, how Rosewater and his amazing crew, would come up with that challenge for to find something that. It's not silly overpowered when you have three opponents still, but it's not absolutely nothing when you only have one left.
2: I, I do think that the, the, the balance for Myriad to a degree, at least in terms of Blade of Selves, is because it's so good with multiple players that it's, it's okay if it gets shut off. Mm-hmm. I, I do think in the case of Blade of Selves, it's okay. But yeah, I think in general, Myriad as a mechanic has that problem for sure.
1: But also, if you're playing Blade of Selves and you're the last person standing with one other person, you probably got enough value from Myriad to begin with. Yes, to get you into that position, that you don't need any sure. more help because you, you you probably got oodles of benefit anyways.
0: I don't. But, but I don't. It's a dead card when you draw it late game. Like, oh, we're down to a one on one, and I top deck a Blade of Selves against my single opponent. Like, that's the experience that I think is kind of sucky.
1: So, so is my thirteenth land. <laughs> it's always dead. <laughs> okay, fine. I not 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 to diminish. Like, like I said, it is an interesting. It's an interesting challenge yeah. that I would be curious to see how, how they would address it in the future. Because if one thing's for certain, every time that they've revisited the concept of a a, a certain mechanic, they've come back and at least tweaked it for the better for the most part. There have been some times mm-hmm. they haven't gotten there. So I would be curious to see like if they redid myriad and fix some of its downfalls how they adjust for that yeah that's a very interesting question so so to to not totally poo-poo no. on your question because i like i said it. <laughs> i do think it, at its core it's a good question um I would be very interested to see the answer for that.
2: I, I agree with the sentiment in, gen, in general sense. I just think Blade of Selves is the one card where it probably doesn't apply because I do think Myriad works so well on that particular card that <laughs> I'm fine with it there. But everywhere else, I, I agree. It's a good point. Yeah. Well, so and actually,
0: like, I think this is the best way to probably cap this episode off, Matt, is exactly on the thing that you just mentioned there. Like, there are a lot of foibles that we've talked about in this episode and as we said before, we're not the Mm -hmm. game designers. Like, this is difficult. And the note that I want to make sure that we end on with this episode is not how dare people have made mistakes when trying to make a game as complicated and difficult as Magic the Gathering. The note that I want to end on is actually seeing like we can actually trace a line for some of these lessons that have been learned and learned so mm-hmm. successfully so partner uh, partners 100 percent. yeah yeah absolutely partners became partner with and also eventually backgrounds like that is a fun transformation to see that different lessons have been learned throughout that process and another one that i'll uh speaking of backgrounds that that actually kind of connects to the seraphic greatsword that i was complaining about earlier seraphic greatsword is worded in a way whenever equipped creature attacks the player with the most life and that your own life total gets in the way there but when they made backgrounds that is the thing that they definitely kept in mind because they worded a lot of backgrounds like for example veteran soldier it says commander creatures you own have whenever this creature attacks a player if no opponent has more life than that player then you get the benefit so like those cards right there, those lessons were definitely learned from the foible that was Seraphic Greatsword. So we definitely see these improvements over time. So I'm, to an extent, I'm glad that some of these design mistakes occurred in the past so that they could be improved upon, and they were discovered in a safe, non game breaking
2: way. We also don't necessarily know what the designers intended with a card. Like we briefly mentioned the name Hull Breacher before, which didn't go into detail because it's banned. The assumption there is the intent wasn't to have Hullbreacher be kind of a wheel lock card. <laughs> Cause, you know, if I were to change Hullbreaker, uh Hull I would I would make it so it only works on spells your opponents control. That way you can't wheel lock somebody. Mm. But maybe that was the intent. Maybe the goal was to have it be a card that you would play in a wheel lock deck and they just didn't realize how strong that was. We don't know. So maybe so maybe the the mistake was just the fact that it played the way that was intended and that that wound up being a problem versus it being a, a mistake in terms of how it was designed. We're not really sure what the intent was there. So calling something a mistake or, or, or fixing it one way or the other depends entirely on what the designers were trying to do too.
1: Well, and, and too, yeah, to repeat what Joyce kind of said at the beginning of this whole discussion, we're looking at this retrospectively. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and it also doesn't help. Like I do QA, I do quality assurance for a living. And so I always get to sit there for my day job and say, why did you do this again? Because it doesn't make any sense. Um, (laughs) so, so I just professionally, I am a nitpicker. So it's always easy for us to say this, that doesn't mean that they wasn't a great idea. And a lot of times too, what we've seen over and over again is sometimes cards that were great in their original design and implementation kind of got spoiled by what came after. Mm -hmm. So like what we said with Dockside extortions, like we pointed out, it wasn't a hugely popular card for a, a little bit of time in its lifespan, but Treasures came on so much stronger after Dockside was introduced. Right. There's a bunch of cards that came on later and made what wasn't a problem a problem later on down the road. So that's a huge thing that we need to keep in mind too is sometimes the designs itself weren't even necessarily, there was nothing wrong with them, but what was introduced to the environment later was what made those flaws come out of the design originally.
2: Great Merchant of Aspidel or or Kokosho or even Ristic Study <laughs> weren't a problem in a 1v1 format. It was only when they were yes. introduced to mm-hmm. a format with multiple opponents that it became an issue.
0: Absolutely. That is a very very good point. And another important for us as an audience of this game to keep in mind whenever we get into our hypercritical modes. Um, Matt I only have one final thing here. I think that i definitely forgot to mention in the rest of this episode a card that i think should totally get buffed because it's just not good enough um doesn't do enough right now uh yeah you know turgrid is definitely not good enough she should also <laughs> gonna, steal cards i'm going people
1: uh <laughs> our editor's about to get the bleep button because i'm about to
0: <laughs> our editor is me don't make me believe you oh,
1: no, <laughs> chase chase we got this all right we'll <laughs> We we, we can- chase just just bleep out all of joy for the next three minutes. <laughs>
0: no, we look, you can't do that because we're about to move to uh, some some outros. Let's. I hope that that swings over. I just wanted to mm-hmm. just wanted to have some fun, Matt. Absolutely, I, I love and cherish you, and I would never <laughs> play Turkert against you. I promise. Fair. Well, I appreciate that. Cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, listeners, we would love to hear from you about cards that you wish were tweaked a little bit. What are the different, uh th- the small fixes that you think would be interesting to see on different commanders? Do you disagree with our takes? Are there any other uh, cards out there in the EDH world that you think could if they had a bit of fixing, what would they look like? How would that change things? And yeah, it's just an interesting hypothetical situation to go through. And for us to remember, you know, that there's a lot of lessons that we can learn as an audience too, not just that Watsi can learn. Um, But for now, fellas, let's call this episode to a close. So if our listeners want to get in touch with us, Matt, where is it that they can find you?
1: So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash Retcast, where we have guests on every single week. It's super fun. Make sure you tune in because, yeah, it's just, it's probably the best thing you can be doing with your Wednesday evenings anyways. <laughs> tune in. And Dana, how about
2: you? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcasts, CMDR Central. I am uh, writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald, and you can find all of us together at Patreon.com/EDHRecast
0: and i'm joey schultz you can find me at joseph m schultz on twitter and you can find the cast at edh reccast on facebook and on twitter plus if you've got a question for us you can contact us at edh at gmail.com our thanks go out once again to chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show you can find them online at mana curves thanks for not bleeping me like matt requested chase and listeners we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember to edh rec your deck before you your deck